0: All right. Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacy Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Adam Levick, co-editor of the Committee for Accuracy in Middle East Reporting and Analysis UK (Camera UK), join us to discuss the BCC's Islamist insiders. Mr. Levick will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Adam Levick.
1: Thanks very much for that. Um, you know, s- though all of CAMERA's departments are important, uh, our work in Arabic—that is, monitoring Arabic media outlets associated with Western media brands—as um, opposed to say Al Jazeera, uh, we only, you know, monitor the brands that broadcast in Arabic that are associated with Western standards of journalism. Um, But it gives us an extremely important tool in fighting the demonization of Israel, um, anti-Semitism, and extremism in the media. Now, as such, many of the most incendiary and hateful comments are made by journalists on social media in Arabic, where many no doubt correctly assume that they can operate with some degree of impunity, as most people in the West aren't, of course, fluent in Arabic. So we're able to hold journalists from BBC Arabic, Sky News Arabia and other outlets uh, accountable for not only what they write or broadcast on their outlets, but often what they say on their personal Twitter or YouTube channels uh, and pages, where as we know many journalists, opinion leaders feel free or at least a greater freedom to express how they really feel for better or for worse. Um, A case in point is the BBC Now, as you all know, in America, there's a public broadcaster, but it doesn't have a fraction of the reach and influence of BBC, which is global and broadcasts in more than 40 languages. There's simply nothing comparable to BBC in terms of reach and output and impact across the globe. There's nothing comparable in the US, Israel or anywhere else in the world. Um, Which brings us to um, an important point that is polling by a UK outfit called Campaign Against Anti-Semitism in 2020 um, for their anti-Semitism barometer revealed that two thirds of British Jews were deeply concerned by the BBC's coverage of matters of Jewish concern. And 55% were concerned about its handling of anti-Semitism complaints. Now it's likely that these figures would be even higher if polled today. So, the fact that BBC, which is funded by license fee paying British citizens, has not earned the trust of British Jews, particularly in light of record levels of anti Semitism in recent years, is extremely problematic. Also, given that polls by the same UK outfit have shown that 87% of British Jews believe that the media's anti Israel bias fuels anti Semitism in Britain, then the onus is clearly on BBC to engage in some serious soul searching, some self reflection and enact meaningful reforms. Now, one example which illustrates the extent of the problem is Abdel Baryatwan. Now, he's a Palestinian born London based editor in chief of an Arabic uh, online newspaper called Ray Al-Yum. And he's a figure who has appeared frequently in British and European media outlets. In fact, for many years, he's been employed as a BBC contributor, both on their English and Arabic uh, sites despite the fact, as I'll show, that by any standard, he's an ideological extremist. Now, what makes him an ideological extremist, you ask? Here are just a handful of examples. I could spend the next 15 minutes talking about the examples only, but here are just um, the most egregious. Let's begin in 2007. You might've heard about this. He said that he'd dance in celebration in Trafalgar Square in London if Iran targeted Tel Aviv with a nuclear weapon. In 2010, uh, Atwan accused British Jews as a collective of bombing Gaza, clear antisemitism. Jumping to 2013, Atwan called Osama bin Laden only a half a terrorist because whoever fights America and, and fights Israel is not considered a terrorist by me. 2014, Atwan praised the perpetrators, the Palestinian perpetrators of the Harnof synagogue massacre that killed seven Jews. In 2015, Atwan mourned terrorist Samir Kuntar, the Lebanese terrorist who in 1979 murdered several members of the same Israeli family, including killing a four-year-old boy with the butt of his rifle. In 2016, Atwan described the deadly Sirona market attack in Tel Aviv, which killed four, as a well-deserved response to Avigdor Lieberman's appointment as Israeli's defense minister. In 2017, Atwan rejoiced at the release from prison of the Jordanian soldier who slaughtered seven Israeli schoolgirls aged 13 to 14 in Naharim in 1997. In 2019, Atwan said it would be a miracle if Yemen's Hutu anti-Semites bombed a lot and attacked Israeli civilians. In 2020, Atwan mourned the death of Ramadan Shala, chairman of Palestinian Islamic Shihad between 1995 and 2018. Atwan called him a model for patriotism, modesty, high morals, and a dear friend. In 2021, he went on Hezbollah-affiliated TV station called Al-Mayadeen, where he enthusiastically predicted that Israeli Jews will not be able to flee before the state's destruction, and so most would be killed. In 2021, he expressed support for the Taliban. That's right, the Taliban. That same year, he called Hamas' assassinated commander a hero and a martyr. Also in 2021, he published an op-ed in the British Muslim news site, Five Pillars, which praised Hamas rocket attacks as heroic. And he argued that it's the duty of all Muslims and Arabs in the world to join the terror groups of violent resistance against the Jewish state. In In 2022, this past year, he praised the murder of three Israeli civilians in a Tel Aviv terror attack as a miracle. Also in 2022, he accused UK Jewish institutions and MPs and the Mossad, Of forming an alliance against him. He said, quote, Zionists have taken control of the media institutions and he implied that Jews and Zionists are trying to control British society. And finally, the last example, in April of 2022, in a clip on his own YouTube channel, he praised the murder of three Israeli civilians in a Tel Aviv terror attack um, as a miracle, the murderer as a hero while gloating that Jews fled like mice. That's the word he used. Now, following numerous complaints to the BBC about Atwan's extremism over the years from our organization and others, BBC issued an official statement last year saying that the BBC maintained that Atwan's ongoing appearances at the network was, and I quote, in the public interest. So we decided to turn it up a notch and we continued to plug away. We started working closely with the Jewish Chronicle, which is the oldest and most prominent Jewish newspaper in the UK. And the Chronicle began frequently publishing our revelations about Atwan's endorsement of terrorism and anti-Semitism. The Chronicle began lodging their own complaints to the BBC about Atwan, complaining that his comments represented a clear breach of BBC standards, complaints which which began getting more and more exposure outside of the Jewish media. And finally, in December, this past December, the Jewish Chronicle reported, based on uh, information provided to sources inside the BBC, that that one is no longer going to be used by the corporation as an analyst. Further, in in part due to our continuing campaign uh, about calling out the BBC and BBC Arabic's coverage, a bipartisan group of MPs and peers will begin undertaking a parliamentary investigation of BBC's coverage of Israel and Jews. And interestingly, the panel of inquiry will be chaired by Lord Carlyle, who who was the government's former anti-terrorism czar. The inquiry will gather evidence, publish a report, and make recommendations, and it will formally present its findings to the BBC next year. However, you know, the problem isn't merely with Atwan, even if that problem solved. As our Arabic department continually shows, Arabic-speaking journalists use the BBC's platform to spread inflammatory rhetoric, such as referring to Jews peacefully visiting the Temple Mount compound as, quote-unquote, settlers storming Al-Aqsa Mosque labeling Jewish communities inside Israel's pre-'67 territory as settlements and just overall whitewashing terrorism targeting Israeli civilians. During Operation Guardian of the Walls, a BBC Arabic journalist defended a guest who characterized the conflict as a war on the Jews. That's right, a war on the Jews, while another BBC Arabic journalist referred to Northern Israel as quote-unquote occupied Palestinian territories. Now this unethical journalism occurs because we would, we've argued of inadequate oversight by BBC management. Um, BBC officials seem either unable or unwilling to enforce Western standards of journalistic ethics on the Arabic service, be it by monitoring the content themselves, by maintaining an adequate complaint system, or by running simple background and Google checks on the journalists and commentators they hire to cover Israel-related issues. And we really think it's outrageous that BBC, which never misses a chance to virtue signal about their commitment to anti-racism, has such a clear, egregious blind spot when it comes to extremist, hateful, pro-terror rhetoric. And the question of why there is this egregious double standard is, is an important one. So let me try to at least briefly explain what I think is the broader intellectual currents at play here. I might have spoken and written on this topic, and let me just frame it this way. You know, In the past, it could be argued that nobles and aristocrats practiced a kind of identity politics of superiority. You know, we were born better than you. But today I'd argue we live in a culture with an identity politics that makes victims into heroes or perceived victims into heroes. You know, the, the, the line is we were discriminated against more than you leading to a culture where minorities or at least those defined as pre- oppressed minorities and often it's a very subjective decision are not just granted sympathy and honor but are gifted an extra legitimacy to their ideas and arguments. What I would describe as an aristocracy of victimhood, if you will. So, so, whereas liberal universalism sought to diminish the significance of identity categories, those mere accidents of birth, right, and treat people e- equally, this new hierarchy of victimology valorizes not the dignity of individuals as individuals, but their dignity insofar as their oppressed group identity. Now, the increasing popularity within intellectual and academic circles of this manichean paradigm defining humanity into a morally pristine class of minority saints versus an ignominious group of oppressor fiends has led the mainstream media imputing such a moral binary to the Israeli-Palestine conflict, positing a theory of justice based narrowly on which group is seen as possessing power and which group doesn't. Now within this framing where race and power, or perceptions of race and power, more accurately, mediate all human relations and adjudicates all claims to victimhood, Israelis and Jews will inevitably, regardless of the facts, be assigned to the role of oppressor. Thus, Palestinians like Abdel bariatwan and their supporters receive a kind of moral impunity, you know, a pass from the critical scrutiny which Westerners are subjected to. You know, they get greeted on a moral curve, if you will. You know, this dynamic has been termed lethal journalism by Professor Richard Landis. That is, the tendency of media outlets in the name of progressivism and in the name of afflicting the comfortable while comforting the afflicted to manipulate news coverage in a way which threatens Jews and emboldens the very regressive forces at war with Jews in particular and at war with Western values more broadly. So though Kammer's victory over the BBC's legitimization and platforming of Abdel Baryatman is an important one until we successfully challenge this egregious, clearly ideologically driven moral double standard employed in the media, there sadly will be more extremist commentators like Abdel one granted a platform by mainstream media outlets. Thank you.
0: All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question we have is from David Levine asking, often BBC commentators don't have to say anything to slant the news. Instead, they managed to omit context to make Israelis look like the bad guys. Uh, for example, Israel troops invaded Janine and killed nine people without mentioning that the people in question have been carefully identified as terrorists. What, if anything, can be done to encourage BBC to provide context for their more lurid anti-Israel stories?
1: Okay, well, first thing you can do is to look at camera... Um, Camera UK's website, we are on top of every story that the BBC files um, about Israel and the Palestinian territories. We've been posted, um, you know, maybe dozens of posts about this particular issue that this uh, commenter is talking about. That is, failing to distinguish between Palestinian militants, Palestinian terrorists, versus Palestinian civilians on one hand, while also obfuscating the fact that the overwhelming majority of Israelis that have been killed in the recent uptick in violence have been civilians um, but it's more than just documenting on our website we've also complained to BBC and unfortunately their complaint system takes a long time for them to get back to you but I would recommend to the commenter that they uh, look at our website and we have an easy to use guide on how to lodge a complaint to the BBC and um, you know complain to the BBC yourself. It's been our experience that the more, complaints that they receive, the more seriously they take the complaints. So that's a really good question and we're on top of it, but you know, we need help. We need people like the commenter to um, go into the system and lodge a complaint with BBC about So That's really vital compact context and that's inconsistent with their editorial standards.
0: Thank you so much. JL asks, everything you're saying today about the BBC could easily be said for many US news outlets such as New York Times and Washington Post as well. Unfortunately, the as the Democratic Party isn't all of this increased anti-Semitism part and parcel for the shift by the mainstream news media and Democratic Party to the radical left. All
1: right, I'm going to leave the Democratic Party out of it because we're a five hundred one C three. But I will say that it's there's no question that the media, you, know, you use the New York Times and the Washington Post. Um, there's no question that these outlets have become more anti-Israel. There's no question that these outlets have become I would say more uh, wedded to this, uh, you know, binary of oppressed versus the oppressor, um, more wedded to, the, to even rejecting the idea that they sh- there should be objective journalism. You know, very often we're finding that journalists uh, since over the last 10 years, especially, have even, you know, see themselves more as activists than journalists and they don't think that it's even their responsibility to give the other side Um, In their minds, I think that the Palestinians are so clearly the victims that um, it's almost unfair to the Palestinians to even feign to give the uh, Israeli side. So to answer the question, yes, I definitely have seen a move towards um, far more hostile coverage of Israel, far less sympathetic coverage of anti-Semitism. And it is a a dynamic that's encroaching on most Western media outlets. Um, That's why we do what we do. So the, the, the problem is getting worse, but, you know, we are fighting back. And uh, but, yeah, that is definitely a, a, an increasing problem, as, as your commenter said.
0: Thank you so much, so much. Uh, Lawrence Julius uh, states there is an upcoming UK parliamentary inquiry into anti-Israel bias at the BBC. Could you confirm that camera will be submitting a dossier dossier on uh, BBC, the BBC World Service and BBC Arabic?
1: Cameron will be submitting a dossier to the inquiry. Absolutely, yes.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, Jeffrey Norwitz asks, uh, might there be an ancient Brit- British animus going back to regret for Balfour uh, Declaration and for their own embarrassment being forced to flee pre-1947? Yeah,
1: that's an interesting question. Something we get a lot. Uh, look, look I-, I would argue that the bigger problem is their post-colonial guilt um, that they, you know, happen to see – they, for understandable reasons, more and more, at least uh, the, opinion, the opinion class, the commentating class, uh, intellectual class, and, and oftentimes within the government, um, view the Israeli-Palestinian conflict through their own history of uh, colonialism, colonial conquests. And um, very often you'll see in even mainstream British media outlets um, referring to Israeli colonies – Um, You know, not just settlements, but colonies. Um, So, you know, it's interesting, you know, there is a um, a writer by the name of Yossi Klein-Halevi, and he pointed out that, you know, it's interesting that Americans more and more view the Israeli policy and conflict, at least those that are anti-Israel, as a, a dynamic based primarily on race well why is that because you know americans america's biggest sin has been you know was slavery jim crow and racism right so um, given their own priors given their own history they tend to project their own um, guilt or their own uh, flawed past through you know to the israeli palestine conflict so i think with the british you know it wasn't slavery but it was colonialism so you know i definitely think they're projecting their own guilt perhaps over their colonial history onto the conflict, despite the fact that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has nothing to do with race and it's nothing to do with colonialism.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, so just going back to the, the par- parliamentary, uh, is there any changes happening within the government to to regulate the BBC at all?
1: Uh, you know, there's been – the problem is they, they just changed the, the minister, the culture minister, who's responsible for uh, – whose purview is the BBC. Um, so we're not currently aware of any particular um, move by the minister um, to um, further scrutinize the BBC. Um, I know that this government and the previous conservative governments have, just as a matter of fact, been very good at pushing – um, universities and localities to accept the IRA working definition of anti-Semitism, but I'm not aware of any minister who's t- taking the BBC brief seriously and beyond the, parliamentary, uh, beyond the parliamentary inquiry is looking to take any action. If they are, I'm not aware of it.
0: Thank you. Larry Hochberg asks, is Cameron working with LNET UK on this issue?
1: With who? Sorry, I didn't hear you. LNET UK. Uh, We're not. I'm familiar with their work, but we're not.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, Daniel Ben-Amias, I'm not sure that the claim, or states, I'm not sure that the claim the BBC's egregious coverage of Jews can be described as a blind spot uh, is consistent with your analysis. From the perspective of victim-based identity politics, which you clearly outlined, it is logically consistent to see Jews as incredibly privileged, Uh, and laud people of color as victims, a stance which is also, in my opinion, incredibly patronizing to people of color. Uh, Can you comment on that? Yeah, look, I
1: I think, you know, saying that there's a blind spot doesn't mean to give them a pass on their coverage. I just mean that, you know, I don't know if how many of your viewers are familiar Mm -hmm. with a book by, the, uh, by a Jewish actor, comedian by the name of David Baydel called Jews Don't Count. Um, he basically lays out why when it comes to this modern uh, focus on racism that has become so all-consuming, why Jews aren't considered to be a true minority, certainly not a true um, you know, uh, oppressed minority. And in fact, BBC even had a, a, a show a few months back where they ask the question whether or not Jews should be even considered an ethnic minority because they're so successful, and I think that gets to the heart of the matter, right? I, I think that um, modern ideas, the the the, the um, infiltration of radical uh, ideas from from academia and intellectual sphere to uh, our public discourse, um, which attacks merit. Um, and therefore, sees anybody who is successful within what they consider to be an unjust system, such as Jews, as having benefited from this unjust system. So, uh, you know, I, 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 we try not to um, get into people's minds and, and try to, um, you know, explain why this particular journalist or this particular um, department within a media outlet is biased against Jews. But I clearly think that there are ideas within the public ecosystem, right? This idea that um, attacks meritocracy, ideas that view all of human interactions as the difference between those that are privileged and those are not privileged. And the problem is that Jews by and large in the diaspora with some exceptions are successful, right? And that Israel as a country, it wasn't always this way, is very successful, economically, diplomatically, militarily. And I think if you're prone to see the world through this binary, this facile binary lens, um, then I think Jews are going to be seen as less of a sympathetic uh, minority. And it, it, it's really ironic and outrageous. But the only thing I'm saying is by the blind spot is that I don't know that a lot of these journalists are aware or understand these ideas that have filtered into their ecosystem. I just think I know that those ideas are there and they have an impact that's injurious to Jews and to Israel. Um, And I think what I tried to say in my brief remarks towards the end is that we need to confront these bad ideas, because I think, you know, what Jews are experiencing are the burden of bad ideas, ideas that have gone from intellectual realms and academic realms to the public discourse. And I think that's what we're dealing with here is is ideas that are at odds with with Jewish rights, with Jewish freedom, and with Jews being treated equally.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for that great answer. Uh, So we... We talked about other um, all, all reporting and going back to the BBC and, and making note of, of discrepancies, uh, but is there any sort of uh, preemptive uh, action that you're taking? Preemptive action? Can you explain? Uh, just uh, uh, teaching journalists <laughs> about uh. anti-bias. Now, I mean, that's a good question. I, I don't, look,
1: uh, uh, let me just say that off the record, or not off the record, but I, I'm not gonna give names, but we have at times had uh, personal meetings with individual journalists in Western media outlets. So we, when those journalists are amenable to talking to us, we are more than willing to have those conversations. So that's preemptive to some degree, especially when the uh, Middle East correspondent or Jerusalem correspondent is new to the region. And um, we try to give them some sense of what our concerns are and a lay of the land. Um, but, you know, I don't know that, you know, people have thought, have thought in the past that, you know, maybe there should be some sort of course for journalists. I just don't think that they would be open to a course, um, by camera or by an organization seen as pro-Israel. I know what we do very often is, um, you know, we're very active on social media and we try to put out information before the journalist reports on a situation so that they can't say that they weren't notified of it. So in other words, if there's a breaking story, um, we'll put out a tweet um, if we feel like we have good information before, say, The Guardian or the BBC has reported on it, and tag the journalists to say that, okay, you've been notified that here's information which you may or may not report, but don't say that you weren't told. So I'd say on Twitter in particular that we try to preemptively prevent bad coverage. And like I said, we do meet with journalists when they're willing to. The, it, the problem is it's such a massive, the media is such a massive um, uh, monster. I mean, you know, there's so many journalists, journalists and so many editors working to produce the story that it would be really hard to um, preemptively, um, you know, help in a way that's on that scale. But we do try to do when we can.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Asks, uh the BBC self-investigated the allegation of anti-Israel, anti-Semitism bias a decade or so ago, and the report is secret and was never published. Can anything be done to get it released or leaked?
1: Yeah, he's talking, the, the commenter is talking about the Ballon report, um, and that's, first of all, it's pretty old. It goes back to 2004, um, let's just say that we have reason to believe we were in touch with someone who read the Bowen Report, and there's nothing that's particularly earth-shattering in the report. Well, let's put this but There's nothing in the report um, that we're aware of that would be particularly relevant to Israel and Jewish coverage in the year 2023. I know it was kind of fishy because the BBC spent a lot of money to to hire lawyers to prevent the release of the report to the public, but we are friendly with some people in high places, and we're told there's really no bombshells in that report.
0: Sorry, I got a new mouse, so I'm still figuring it out. Uh, Richard Galbaras, asks, uh, the Board of Deputies recently said they would not join in the demonization of the BBC, is the BBC uh, demonized? And what is your opinion of the board of deputies view on the BBC on anti-Semitism, Jews in Israel, especially as per the Jewish Chronicle reporting?
1: Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think
0: that's a very
1: tricky question for a number of reasons. I, I think it depends on who you're talking about. Uh, you know, there um, there are many members of the board of deputies who share our concern about the BBC. There are many me- members of the, of the Board of Deputies who share concerns about anti-Semitism being legitimized and propagated by the BBC. Um, but look, it, it's a old and, and complicated organization, the Board of Deputies, and there's uh, lots of different views about Israel and Jews within the organization. Um, so I find that they're generally helpful when there's a really egregious um, story, like I don't know if your viewers are remember the Hanukkah bus incident when a bunch of Israeli Jews were celebrating Hanukkah in London and they were anti-Semitically, um, rhetorically attacked by a group of um, a group of young Asian men, Middle Eastern looking men, and um, the BBC somehow got a hold of a, a witness that said that the Jews on the bus were the ones that were um, engaging in anti-Muslim rhetoric, which there is no evidence of whatsoever. So. That was such a moral inversion. That was such a, uh, um, a big story in the UK that the, that the Board of Deputies was very outspoken in speaking out against the BBC and demanding an inquiry and, depend, and demanding a retraction. So, um, you know, I would just argue that um, the, B, the Board of Deputies does what it can, um, but, um, you know, it, it's hard to make a generalization about an organization that has so many members and is pulled in so many different directions.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, going into our last minute here, are you optimistic? Uh, will will things get better, do you think?
1: <laughs> Look, I mean, I wouldn't do my job if I didn't think that we made a difference and, and, and that we and that, you know, as bad as things are, I think they'd be worse without us. I wouldn't say optimistic. I would say that this is a fight worth fighting and that you know, um, I forget who said this. I don't want to misquote somebody, but, you know, someone once said that Israel can win by not losing. And I look at our job as, you know, trying to win by not losing. That is, um, you know, I think if it wasn't for organizations like CAMERA, or like Middle East Forum, uh, like uh, other organizations that do a fantastic job fighting the good fight, I think the world would be much worse without us. And I think Israel and Uh, the position of pro-israel jews in the uk and the u.s and elsewhere in the diaspora will be much worse without us so am i optimistic no but i'm hopeful that we can continue to fight back and continue to prevent um, what would be an even worse situation for jews and israelis and pro-israel americans and Britons if we weren't here
0: all right thank you so much and before we go can you tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work
1: Sure, um, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Instagram. Uh, our website is camerauk.org. Um, our main website is camera.org. And also on our website, on the camerauk.org website is a contact uh, form that you know we rely very heavily on tips about media bias from people like the people that are listening today. So if you see an egregious um, example of bias, and um, inaccuracy about Israel, or a platforming of an extremist or anti-Semite, by all means, send it to our direction, either tweet us, again, at uh, cameraUK.org, or use our contact form on our website to let us know. We really rely on tips from people like you, from uh, the people that are listening to this Zoom session.
0: All right, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again for taking time uh, to speak with us, Mr. Levick, we appreciate it
1: been my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Of course. For our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Ashley Perry. Uh, thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.